0: You primitive screwheads, listen up I got news for you, pal You ain't leading but two things right now Jack and shit Jack left town Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket the Rocket sir. Is this mean we're not friends anymore? Who the the you my my name. Name. I'm in my prime. You're out of your Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow.
1: Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Uh,
0: we just got some tests back from the lab. And, uh, Pickles, you're not dying. Oh, ain't there's something wrong with you urine, what happened? Oh, I switched my pee with Murder Face! That's not my pee, I switched with Switcher!
2: Oh, it's not me, I switched mine with Nathan's! Well, it's not me, I switched mine with
0: Toki! I switched my pee with my cat's pee, and he's right, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's dead! Oh no! The cat was the bestest person in his!
1: this. Here with you, episode 131 of The Hordes of Chaos on the Middle Tamario podcast. Going back in time a little bit with Toki and his cat song.
3: Is that what it's actually
1: called? I think that's what they actually label it on the um YouTube, you know, clips and all that kind of stuff.
4: It's called
1: Toki's Cat Song? Yeah, something like that. Uh It's so weird though because that really came out we saw that episode and everything when, like, I think it was Bastilles when she had passed. Maybe it might have been Azzy. I can't remember which. It wasn't
4: Bastilles because uh, that
1: was... 8, 2008. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, like, uh, just perfect timing in a way. So <laughs> kind of cheered us up at the same time. Uh, Metal Oculus, Death Clock, great show. Uh, we got a lot of things in store for you today. A lot of good music coming your way, of course, as usual. Oh, uh, yeah. Necco's Pick of the Week in a Rock Block. Uh, what else we got? We got some new stuff from Rivers of Blaze. Uh, Ferency, Seeds of Perdition, Divine Anger. A lot of stuff from the labels that we work I keep getting these new labels that are hitting me up, which is great. I like it. Uh, just more and more stuff they're sending our way. Uh, retro movie review later Uh, some topics to get to regarding SeaWorld uh, OJ Simpson versus the people on Netflix we'll get to that soon and also Neck and I based off of Aaron Penn from Cult of Cinema's uh, idea about ranking tiers for horror movies he did particular years we're we're doing like the whole decade Uh, so the first decade we're going to hit up on is the 1970s so that's going to be a lot of fun to go through. Uh, but let's kick into our music. Uh, we got some classic stuff here from Nocturnus kicking off from Lake of Fire. Nico did a review of this album mm-hmm. once. The Key. Here we go Lake of Fire.
2: Fire! Fire! Fire. Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zella RIP. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
1: chance to check out the Netflix series, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. And if you don't all know by now, we all know the O.J. Simpson story with Ronald Goldman and uh, Nicole Brown, Brown, his ex-wife. And uh, you know, it's funny revisiting all that, how I remember very vividly how crazy it was when the verdict came in and uh, the bronco chase on the highway uh the series that we saw now nick and i we started watching something else a few years ago that was similar to this and we lost interest like at the first episode it wasn't this one though because we basically said to ourselves well if it is we'll restart it check it out we hated it yeah but uh off the bat, we saw characters and actors in this particular movie series that we didn't see before. And so, uh, a lot of the big names in it, too. Uh, Sterling K. Brown as Christopher Darden, Kenneth Cho as Lance Ito, Cuba Gooden Jr. as O.J. Simpson, uh, Sarah Paulson as a favorite of ours, Marsha Clark, David Schwimmer from the Friends uh, series uh, playing Robert Kardashian. Mm-hmm. And John Travolta, who we really love, playing Robert Shapiro, as well as Courtney B. Vance playing Johnny Cochran. Yeah,
4: and who else? Nathan Lane.
1: Nathan Lane as F. Lee Bailey. Although I don't really remember that person that much from back then, but obviously he was a a, a big part of that whole uh, fiasco, if you want to call it. Uh, so basically, the series just chronologically goes from the night of the murders that the the bodies are found to uh, police showing up to OJ's house to notify him but then like start finding evidence uh, around the house that leads them to believe that he's the killer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the acting in this, and you were talking about with the Rotten Tomatoes scores that it was actually very uh, good. Yeah,
4: it was 97 from the critics in like 92 from the
1: audience it was something insane yeah and it really is well acted uh
4: it's overacted hysterically <laughs> overacted
1: but that sort of but that sort of fits with the whole theme of everything that's going on um you even see other actors in there like Summer blair playing chris jenner jordana brewster is in there uh has like a shitload of different actors and actresses but i think At the same time, by the time we were done with it, it's like we kind of figured that we're in the same place we were back then in terms of how we felt about whether or not he was guilty Mm -hmm. or... And I think the thing is, like, we feel like, yeah, there's a possibility that he is guilty, but there's so many missteps along the way and and just shit that... the
4: prosecution did a
3: shit job.
1: Yeah, you know, and then... And and they actually point on that throughout the series. Like there's every time that, Marsha Clark thinks she's got an advantage. Like something else knocks her feet from under. And then and then on the other side, Cochran, you know, <laughs> they tr- like the whole thing with the whole like uh, choosing the jury, uh, was just like a battle between like you know oh well we're gonna dig up shit on this juror, from five years ago. And and use it against us so we can't use them and Johnny this.
4: Cochran is really good at poking holes in people's stories. Like if he was on the other side, if he was on the prosecution, you know he'd be poking holes in
3: whatever defense stories.
1: Oh yeah, and I and I think they kinda of pointed to that as far as like his mentality, like in that in fact we saw a lot of that with him and Darden who were good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh Darden was working with Marshall Clark on the prosecution, whereas Johnny Cochran was defending O. J. Mhm. And Darden, at first, was trying to be very cordial and kosher with Cochran. You know, he wanted it to be smooth between them and everyone to do their jobs. But Cochran's like, dude, I'm here to fucking win.
4: Mm-hmm. He, That's exactly what he said to, to Darden. He's yeah. like, I'm here to win.
1: And so you, and I thought that really, uh, Brown, who I think was in your show, This Is Us. I think that's a guy. The uh, guy who plays yeah, yeah, he's in this. Is us. Uh, I'm so he was like he was like my favorite actor in the whole thing, just because you saw his range of emotions, like especially you, at the dance
4: I was gonna say if you, I don't think you've ever watched any of this. This is us. He's probably the best actor on that show. too. you know how much I love Milo Brmentiga, but um, he plays the adult version of Milo's uh son. Right. And he like he's
1: just amazing. Yeah, so as Darden, you know, you're seeing this guy who kind of starts out kind of meekish and he starts to build up his confidence a little more and then of course the end uh we which we found out uh you know, both Clark and Darden decided to walk away from uh the legal part of it all after this uh trial because it was just so taxing. Like, a lot of bullshit. You know, you found out how much uh, Clark was attacked, mainly for looks and everything else. That You know, not even for what was going on in the courtroom, but outside of it.
4: Her personal life was put on display. People were selling pictures of her from her first honeymoon with her first husband. Yeah, where like she was topless sh- on, right. on a, like, beach. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see... And here I'm not getting feminist but I am a little bit how they were
1: attacking Marsha Clark. No there's clear sexism
4: Yeah and I mean
1: Now I, the, the flip side to that of course is we also notice that all between like even Judge Ito who was trying to maintain this balanced thing like when he started realizing that he is getting this like star celebrity status he, took, he kind of took it on. They all kind of like enjoyed it mm-hmm. uh, until I was no longer able to enjoy it but yeah, Clark took the brunt of a lot of that uh, sexism back then. And I have to admit, even for me, like I didn't pay as much attention as some people with it, but I, I laughed at the jokes about Clark too. So for me, it was kind of like watching this, I had to kind of reevaluate my feelings toward that because I really felt bad. The way that Sarah Paulson portrayed a character was masterful.
3: And, and,
4: and Marsha Clark commented on her performance portrayal she's like it was so good like it upset me because it brought back all these memories of what was happening to me
1: yeah um and that's pretty big when someone actually who didn't really live it and they're only portraying you can actually convey the same feelings and like that so uh it's kind of an eye opener especially and like I said towards the end with uh Darden and his feelings about everything you know he's Brown's breaking down with his character and crying and feeling bad that they couldn't get the verdict they wanted and you know it just it really changed the way he was and he says this this kind of stuff isn't for me Uh, well it was
4: really hard because um, you know they they kept saying you know there's all this evidence there's all this evidence and you know we have the DNA and DNA was still new and people didn't quite get the DNA thing But when you put someone up for trial for murder, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And when, um, Berman, you're finding out, you know, he has purposely gotten black people arrested. It puts that, you know, well, maybe, maybe he really did plant evidence. Maybe. And you can't take that away. that's
1: always the thing we talk about with politics and everything else is... With the media, for instance, uh, when CNN had to fire a couple of reporters for making up a story about Trump. It doesn't matter if CNN is 99.9% truthful in everything they do. Yeah,
4: like 99% of the time. Right.
1: The moment you have an issue like that, it puts doubt in people's minds. And then they have to start questioning what else you've been doing. And that's exactly what you're saying. Is Furman, who may have done everything by the book that night. But he's got this fucking baggage with him, uh, and on tape even, where he's saying this and that and doing this and that. And that puts totally everything, his credibility, at risk. And the thing that I was found the most shocking here was both sides, prosecution and defense, have a lot of infighting. Cochran and Shapiro were going at it for a lot of times, uh, trying to the battle of Will's who's mm-hmm. going to do this because Cochran obviously had his own agenda at some point in there. Uh, and then on the other side, Darden and and Clark, you know, they were at odds at times too, even though they liked each other. <laughs> at least the impression that we got was they liked each other a little bit more. But the point that we always point to in the in the show was darden wanted to take a huge risk by having oj put the glove on That, that to him he thought that was like gonna be the definitive be
4: slammed up.
1: yeah he thought he was gonna get him period and we all know the story we we can always bicker and argue about whether or not oj was making a fist and couldn't get it in there or the glove was actually too small the reality if it is... it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Right. The reality is he, Darden failed what he wanted to do and that created more tension with Clark because she didn't want to do it. She wanted to stick to the DNA and everything else. Whether or not that would have been enough, no one knows, but I think the glove thing definitely shifted perception, not only for the jury probably, but for people who were watching this shit 24-7. Like, mm-hmm. oh, there's no way that he did this. And uh, and then he added all the Furman bullshit, and it's like, oh, dude, it's like it's like a fucking nightmare.
4: <laughs> I, I just I remember it so well because my grandparents were glued to the TV for eight months straight, and I was in I think ninth grade when it happened. So, you know. I would come home and the o j trial is on, and you know they announced the they announced the results while I was in school, and everybody heard it, and everybody knew and it was it was very interesting, you know i personally like i am gonna say i think he was guilty i just you know that's one of those things how can you step back and say yeah he's definitely guilty when there's so much mishandling of evidence there's so much mishandling of you know everything I mean it wasn't just Furman there were other cops who put evidence in their car and didn't take it to the next day to log the evidence yeah
1: the one dude took his shit home with Mm -hmm. him because it was so late and it might have been just an honest thing. You might have still had it in the car, and you know, got it back the next day. But the but reality saying, is, how
4: often do you do this? And He's like, I've never
1: done right, it yeah. And, and that's what that's what made Cochran so good is that he took something and he just poked holes in it, like you mm-hmm. said. You know, he, he found a way to utilize it. And of course, what gets lost in all this is the Goldmans, like the two. The father and and daughter who had lost a you know lost a son and, and brother. They were almost an afterthought to a lot of what this hoopla was going on.
3: because yeah,
4: everybody else is is famous. Yeah. And you know, even Nicole wasn't necessarily famous, but she was married to OJ, which kind of made her famous. And it was a circus. We were. I didn't know how poorly that the jury was treated for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, I—I mean, you hear it in the news where it's like the jury is sequestered. They have to live in this um, hotel. They have to do this. They—they have—they had no television in their hotel room, and they had like community TV time, so they were allowed to watch like certain shows. They, you know, even though this was '94, there was internet, but they didn't have any access to the internet. They, um, you know, there were no smartphones back then, so I'm sure if if they had it back then they would have taken their phones away and given them all like flip phones or something just for and it all was monitored like everything was monitored I um so you see what a big circus this was and you see that like I, I kept like laughing at the show because again Robert Shapiro if he really was as big of a dipshit as John Travolta portrayed him, and he's this huge successful lawyer i It just blows my mind everything well was- that
1: was that was always a weird thing because Shapiro, I guess, at least according to this series, was a guy that always settled
4: mm-hmm. that, that, that's his thing he, he, he was- always
1: settled and that wasn't something that OJ and Cochran were looking for. And, and Cochran, I got like a lot of what he was talking about. Like mm-hmm. he wanted to. It really kind of is an eye opener when he, especially at the time with the Rodney King thing happening before, uh, about police brutality and you know all stuff. So
4: like very recent,
1: right? So Cochran had like a very good stance and point about opening or shedding the light on something a bigger issue. Uh, but I kind of felt like at times Cochran was losing himself as well because it, be, it started becoming more of a an agenda with him rather than worrying about what was going on in mm-hmm. front with with OJ. And yeah, it's just it's crazy to me. Like
4: I think I think the the big thing watching this just reminded me that it really was about people who were murdered and it turned into not about people who were murdered. And then again, I'm, I'm giggling at this this show because it's so overacted and it's so over the top. And then I'm thinking the case was so big and so over the top that you really lost what was happening. In the, cause it's like, wasn't it the NBA finals or something we saw during one of the episodes and it was the, um, they were even on like, the daytime soaps they were taking the soaps off and putting the trial on if the trial was in session
1: yeah uh i think that was this was probably what led to the 24 7 court channel that we now have i think this is they found out oh people are really interested in this shit, you know and i know that probably a few years ago jody arias who murdered her ex-boyfriend or boyfriend at the time you know i remember that being on tv a lot mm-hmm. Uh, the girl from who was accused of murdering someone in Italy mm-hmm. that was on a lot. So it, you know it's, it definitely it just overshadowed every the two victims, and that was one the thing the Goldmans were so upset and angry about was that everyone was talking, uh, you know, Nicole and, and OJ, and not enough about Ronald, who really was an innocent bystander just for being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things um of of interest is that you know uh Kardashian who was a good friend with OJ for many years like he was even battling issues with his ex-wife because there's two sides of the family here you've got a lot of people for Nicole Brown and then you have people for OJ's side and Summer Blair who played Kris Jenner you know she was playing uh the ex- wife of Robert Kardashian and there's like this tension there because she believes OJ did and because OJ's past with the, the abuse uh, and she's rightfully so very uh, skeptical of OJ at that point so it and makes she sense
4: and even said that Nicole told her at one point if anything happens to me
1: it's probably it's OJ him. and so but Robert you know wanting to believe in his friend you know didn't want to advantage didn't think he could do it At the end of the series we find that robert's walking away from oj because he has the doubts that he didn't do it now the thing about that for me is it's fine that robert came to that conclusion which makes sense but at the same time we're always going to come full full circle back to whether or not they were able to prove it and that was the problem too many things went wrong for the prosecution that they couldn't get it done in court which, we all know the story, is why they went after him in a civil suit and won. Like, that was the only way they could actually get anything, any kind of justice against O.J. And
4: then, yes, and then in the civil suit, I looked that up. They won, however, when they went to um, collect, I, I, they won, I forgot what it was, $5 million or something. They might have
1: gotten 250000 because OJ at the time... Liquidated or he, moved his shit he, off. He or...
4: liquidated his assets. He was technically bankrupt and then moved to Florida to protect what little assets he had left.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, obviously um, OJ saw that coming mm-hmm. and decided to handle that that way, which mm-hmm. just to me kind of shows more guilt but, you know... It is what it is, Um, and as we all know, after a few years, O.J. still gets in trouble by trying to rob his, his, to get his shit back, and he's back in jail anyway, and so, I don't know, like, everyone's always going to have their own view and opinion on what happened with that. Um, I think most people will probably agree that O.J. probably did do it, but it was just the worst handling of any high-profile case that I've ever seen. Especially if it played out exactly the way we saw it. We don't know how much of that is actually just made up for, you know, clicks and everything else as opposed to the real information. But uh, it's just very good. It actually was nominated for 13 categories, winning nine. So that's pretty impressive for that.
4: What I also found very interesting about this was this was, um, hold on. This was part of a series called American Crime Story. Right. And there was three seasons where um, we might want to see. The next season was the Monica Lewinsky.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And then um, another season was the assassination of, of Gianni Versace. Oh,
1: yeah, I remember that, too.
4: So... It came out, like, they all, they didn't come out back to back. Because, you know, like, there's American Horror Story. I think this might have been an FX thing, too. And they did the American Horror Story and then American Crime Story. And I... And
1: ironically, Paulson's involved with uh that, too. So, there's actually a new American Horror Story uh, season out. We might have to check it out.
4: Well, I, I'm, like, I tried to do Hotel and I didn't like Hotel. And I'm like, should I... Should I just skip onto
1: like another one, or? Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, I like right now. I haven't seen them all, but I like maybe four of the seasons out of seven or eight that they have. And
4: I couldn't finish Hotel, and I thought I would really. We like
1: actually it. liked Roanoke. That was pretty good.
4: Roanoke was. We gave. Because that came after Hotel, right? Right, right. And Roanoke, I said, I can't finish Hotel, and I hated that I couldn't finish it, because Lady Gaga was in it, and it was all about, like, vampires and this haunted hotel, and I tried to follow it, and I restarted it twice, and I didn't like it. And then, um, Roanoke was after that. I know they have the, um, one... But
1: the election stuff. The
4: election one, I, I do want to kind of see that because I feel like there's going to be some, like, hillbilly back hillbilly shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to kind of see that one, too. Um, but I'm really interested in this American crime story, Monica Lewinsky, because I remember that, too. I was actually a freshman in college, and it was... You know when you're a freshman in college they always make you take like as many of your like required electives and required bullshit as possible like English 101 and then I had to take biology and I had to take um, calculus like all my basic things that kind of like before I started hitting up my business degree and speech was one of them so There there was like a whole formulaic thing of how you write a speech and they taught you how to like lay out your note cards like so that you're literally not reading your speech, but you're, you know, you know, kind of like speaking, but still having emotion and one of them was about like we are one of our topics was about the um, Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton, and I'm like, I don't really because it's like, do you think he's guilty? Do you think he should be impeached? Should he get... In? and I'm like, I really don't give a shit because that is his private life. Yes, he lied. I don't. Care. Is he guilty?
1: Probably. Yeah. Is he should he be impeached for it? No, but well,
4: see, he what people, your people, impeachment is the trial. So yes, he did get impeached. Should we waste time on him being impeached or money? No, no, I don't care. Does that mean something might have happened? Like. So anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but that's, that's why... We'll get into I, it when we actually see we're your gonna series. we that series, and that's one of the reasons I'm really interested,
0: because maybe it'll open my eyes. Maybe I'll be like, wow.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't... I should it
4: have sh- cared more.
3: It
1: shouldn't go over with people listening that because we do have actors doing this series that I'm not going to say they're not throwing in some things here and there to spice it up, but I think for the most part everything is accurate. I mean, it's been so many years, I don't think they're going to spend time fabricating a a major story in this series so I'm pretty sure everything that we've got going on in here is probably very close to the way shit played out so I think
4: it is a little bit of dramatic effect
1: yeah and that's expected when you have uh, actors doing this stuff because I mean you know shit you know they have actors yelling at each other and stuff so I mean I'm sure it happened a little bit but probably not to the extent that we saw it all going on but Either way, it's worth checking out uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson on Netflix. Definitely worth it.
4: I do have to comment, though. I have never heard the word juice used so many times. Yeah.
1: The juice! juice. Come on, juice! juice.
4: Uncle Juice is here! The
1: juice is loose!
4: I'm like, if I hear juice one more fucking time...
1: (laughs) All right, let's get back on some music. I actually got some new stuff from a new label called Six String PR, a band called Ebulism. So that's in there. Also, Grand Sounds provided some stuff from Orbstruct. But Rivers Ablaze has a new record out Mm
3: -hmm.
1: called Devoid Dying Sun. They are unsigned, an independent band, progressive black death metal. And this is called Invocation of the Consuming Fire fire, fire.
0: Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday
4: mornings every day, but Hump Day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally, and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, Afternoon to the Moon, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Necco on Metal Tavern Radio.
1: Thank you, Mr. Gray. Appreciate that intro. We're back. DJ Nubis. And, uh, the other day I was on YouTube. Uh, you know, I love my YouTube. Mm-hmm. All my channels and subscriptions. And, came, you know, been following Aaron Penn from Cult of Cinema for a while. He's always a special guest on the Samurai Guys show, doing uh, Versus episodes and uh, Is It That Bad? And stuff like that, so... Uh, really cool guy, very knowledgeable. He started doing um, what he calls, I guess, year by, I don't know if it's year by year, but I caught him doing a, a YouTube video of him doing a specific year for the horror movies of that year, and he mm-hmm. was ranking them by tier on his site called Tier Maker, which was kind of cool. And uh, I thought, well, man, that's a really a great idea. And But I said to myself, I said, well, Neko and I should do this, but we should do it by decade because, one, I know you haven't seen everything that I have, but two, you can go on some years and there's just not a lot of good movies there, so it wouldn't really make it worth it in that way.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I figured, well, if we do it by decades, that's really going to put a lot of good stuff in the pot. And, granted, uh... I'll probably have to do one of these separately because I have, like, another 28 movies from the 70s that I like that Neko's never seen. So, I may have to do another one of these just for my fans and whatever, but... You're fans. My fans. You're fans. <laughs> I have fans, you know. I guess I have fans. I don't know. <laughs> you personally have fans? Uh, I gotta have DJ New's fans. Come on. I
4: thought it was all DJ Neko fans.
1: Well, that's true. They do love you more than me. That's a fucking fact. Uh, But the movies that you and I, you know, we talked about, and we're going to do this for the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. We might spread them out a little bit because it does take a little bit of time, but we talked about the movies that we've seen. We went over it. So I'm just going to tell you for those that are listening, uh, when we go to post this next week, we will post the images of both our lists. Um, so that people can actually look at it but for the sake of listening I'm going to give you a breakdown of the movies that we've put in the pot Uh, Horror Express Alien Jaws Suspiria Piranha Black Christmas Tourist Trap The Exorcist Dawn of the Dead Halloween Willard The Devils kingdom of the spiders when a stranger calls salem's lot Carrie, trilogy of terror the Hill have I- the hills have eyes the texas chainsaw massacre phantasm the omen and invasion of the body snatchers again there's more that i would have added into this list but because neko has not seen everything we want to do this as a collective and so we stuck with the ones that we both have actually seen. And or, we're going to do. Or new, like. Right. At uh,
4: least seen a little bit of. Right,
1: because, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Nedgo has seen some other films, because I'm always watching horror films, and she's always like, what the fuck are you watching? So she won't always know exactly what it is she's watching, but she has probably seen glimpses of the other crap that I've seen. Um, but these are the ones that she does remember. So. Uh, and these are ones that, you know, everyone pretty much likes, including us. So. Now. The categories that we have is from Best, Rate, Good, Average, and Poor. And I think what we'll do is...
4: The doubles are the ones that we just watched, right? right?
1: correct. correct. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll start from the bottom for the pours. Okay. And then just make our way up to our top list. So, um, I, do you want to just do it by per movie or do you want to go, like, say for, like, one category, just Let's name do them? Just by
4: it. category. Okay. And we're not going to, like... <laughs> oh, no. no! It's on my thing, too. It's frozen.
1: oh Can you still see it?
4: No. Hold on.
1: <laughs> well, I'll kind of go over my first... Okay, one po- Alright, you got it? Yeah. I
4: have to make it bigger, because my, my computer's so small, and these images <laughs> are so small, and then I was... Because you said you wanted to, to share the images, so I was downloading the image, and then it popped up and uh, it, went, it went all, like... Sketchy? The, yeah. <laughs> so, you want to start with your poor ranking?
1: Yeah, we're going to start with the poor. We're, and keep in mind, these aren't... Like, I can watch these films any time. Like, it's not like um, they're bad, per se. It's just that in terms of whether or not they've held up, um, do I find myself re-watching them a lot... In fact, I would say this pretty much for the first two guys, for Poor Average, it's going to be like that for me. But in Poor, I had three titles out of the group that we had. Wow, that's more than me. Uh, I had The Hills Have Eyes, Magic, and Horror Express.
4: I
3: had
1: The Devils. The reason why this is funny, because if you heard our review of it, you know exactly where she stands with this film, so... <laughs> <Worst> <laughs> one fucking film, you put one of my, like, more... But you'll be interested to find out. Uh, so we know... I think
4: for me, with poor, it really is a poor movie. Like, it was not even done well.
1: I think we agree that it doesn't really hold up. Um, it's probably gotten more attention because of how controversial it was at the time we talked about all that and uh, so when i go into my average i actually have the devils in there
4: oh do you now?
1: now again it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad just how often am i going to find myself watching this over and over i do own it because it is a rare dvd to find um i have four others in this category as well uh invasion of the body snatchers in which is average. a remake yeah in mm-hmm. average uh Trilogy of Terror, Black Christmas, and The Omen. And really, the only the thing about like Black Christmas I've talked about with people in the horror jo- uh, fandom and whatnot, I actually enjoyed the 2006 remake more than the original. I do like the original, just not as much as the 2006 remake. Um, there's just a lot of unclarity with Black Christmas and the original for me that it kind of just kind of draws me away from it. Some people really like that about it. Uh, Trilogy of Terror, like, it's fine. But as an anthology, there's only one particular episode of anthology that you and I really enjoy, and that's the little voodoo doll. And that's, it's terrifying, but, like... Maybe, maybe, okay. So what do you have in your average category? So
4: maybe I just did my, my rankings... Way different than
1: you. Maybe. But like, let's see, that might be how you rank them. That's fine. So,
4: for like, what, poor is like, unwatchable. Like, I'll never, ever watch it again. Ever. Um, average is, I know I've watched it, but I can't remember any of it. And I had Phantasm and Kingdom of the Spiders, because I know I've watched it, but it didn't make that any kind of impact poor actually made more of an impact because I know I'm never ever going to watch it
1: again. I, well, I, I think I did the reverse. I think I just kind of looked at pretty much for average and poor. It's movies I do like, but I think I just used them as a way to say they're kind of forgettable by now, or they didn't hold up, or you won't find me watching them that often. That's pretty much how I'm mm-hmm. looking at it. I'm not really saying it sucks. Um, yeah, because like for me, when I, I
4: looked at this, I was like, okay... I remember the plot to this. I remember the plot to that. And this is where I would put it. Average, I know I saw it. Like, I don't even hardly remember Phantasm. Like, at all. Same thing with Kingdom of the Spiders. I know we watched it because you're like, we just watched this like, and it was on TV, and I'm like, no, don't remember it. So.
1: So those are the two that you had in there? Okay. Now, my good list is actually my longest list. Um, when a stranger calls. Willard, Phantasm, The Crazies, Kingdom of the Spiders, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Tourist Trap, and Annabelle Horror.
4: Super so me, I had Magic,
3: mm-hmm.
4: The Omen, Black Christmas, Okay, The Hills Have Eyes, Horror Express, Tourist Trap. Piranha and Salem's Lot Okay And I based these on movies That I liked I remember But if It's a tier so they're on the Like I like them but There's other ones I like more
1: Okay that's fine uh, They probably really love you for putting uh, The omen up there on Black Christmas <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I, who, who would say that?
1: well a lot of fans hold Black Christmas in high high regard like cause it is one of the earlier slash type
4: well we watched both of them like pretty much back to back when we watched them and I, I like like the premise mm-hmm. so yeah
1: it's, it's a good good plot I the think. problem
4: with Magic like it's actually I think better than good but I'm not gonna ever watch it again because I don't like the Triloquist dummies
1: well, see, I, my reasons for putting it so low is that it's creepy, but it was much creepier to me as a kid. Like, if I go and watch a movie like Dead Silence, I get more freaked out by that than I do the Magic now. And it's I, it's just a matter of it holding up to today's standards of horror. Well,
4: it still scares me
1: a lot. <laughs> like, even uh, but- if you remember the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode with the little dummy they had in that, that shit was crazy, too. That was scary as fuck. Um... Yeah, a lot of these that I have in here are good. Um, they're great for revisiting. Uh, people might say I have Texas chance a little bit too low, but you and I are in agreement when we'll get to the 80s that TCM 2 is much better than 1. So there are different reasons for that for us. Um, all right, so as far as my great list, Halloween, Carrie, The Exorcist, Piranha, and Salem's Lot.
4: I have Invasions of Body Snatchers, When a Stranger Calls, Willard, Suspiria, Amityville Horror, Dawn of the Dead, The Crazies, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well,
3: you
1: have a lot in your great, so that means your best, it must be kind of small in comparison.
4: So, wh- when I say these are great, it means I've got memories of great memories that, but then there's, like, again, best is there's just, like, that one-up. So, you know I love this when a stranger calls, the whole, the calls are coming from inside the house, and...
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember if... I'm sure it's this film, because there's, there's a sequel, and I can't remember which one it is, but it's kind of a spoiler, but when the guy at the end, he's basically, uh, he's painted himself like the wall behind him mm-hmm. in the dark. That it's like that was off the hook I, could, I did not see that coming uh, I was like Uh, the remake that was done in the mid 2000s it has what's
4: his face your, your boyfriend doesn't
1: it no it has a chick that I kind of like as an actress in
4: Willard
1: no 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 uh, oh, when a stranger about, calls it's
4: never mind. I'm thinking of Willard sorry
1: the Willard remake was good we actually enjoyed that um yeah uh cause I know you and I were talking about Ben but like the horror elements in Ben are kind of a lot sm- much lower than they were for Willard, and that's. See,
4: this is how sick we are. When we went, when we saw Willard, we went out and bought a pet rat. Like, to us, it's not that scary, but it's a really good movie.
1: Well, yeah, the thing about Willard and Ben, this is, and I've known this since I was a kid, is that, especially with Ben, you can relate to the young boy, because he was being bullied, and the rats were actually defending him. Uh, Willard is similar to that way because Willard was taking care of a rat and a little mouse, Socrates, and
3: oh one yeah, Socrates, yeah. So like, and
4: then he and Ben, you and
1: I, on. we we get enraged about things that we probably shouldn't get enraged about. We don't get enraged when some dipshit asshole, you know, bites it from the rats. We get enraged when they kill the fucking mouse, mm-hmm. you know. So like. You know, we we understand why we like these particular films. So. Uh,
4: now, Suspiria, I know that's in your best tier. I know <laughs> it's one, but for me.
1: Well, I'm already guessing because you're probably at, th- at least two of the ones I have. Mine are probably in yours because I haven't heard you mention them yet. So.
4: So Suspiria is good, but the ones that I have at the top, I just like better. That's kind of just
1: how it is. Well, you didn't really have to have any specific amount. I mean, if you could have literally put all of them in the, in the great but, you know, obviously, we did it right. We did it the way we felt was, you know, the way it works.
4: And uh, I, mean, I love the crazies. Like, I, I like the remake, and I like, we just watched the original maybe mm-hmm. a month or two ago, and I'm like, is this the crazies? You're like, yeah, let's watch this shit.
1: And I hadn't seen any of them until about five years ago. So when I was just we you were out, that's why I spent a lot of time watching all these random horror movies that were on our apps and whatnot, and they're like, well, you know, I've never checked this out, so I watched the original, liked it, and then Timothy Elmphine is in the remake, and I was watching that one, I was like, that's really fucking good, too. I was actually pretty impressed. Uh, that's one of the few cases where remakes are actually pretty good. It doesn't always happen. We know that Evil Dead 2013 was really good, it just doesn't happen that often, so... Uh, it's always nice when it does, so chances are, when we go to do the 2000 stuff, that will probably pop up in the list, A remake. Yeah, you
4: know, it's going to pop up in the list, The Ring. Yeah. Not the one movie that I can actually remember. <laughs> it scared me so bad. Well, I can
1: tell you now, like I was telling you the other night, like, I was going through all the 1980s, and like, our list, that stuff that we've seen is Huge. Mm-hmm. Huge. And that's not even counting the ones that you haven't seen that I have. Alright, so in my best of list, mm-hmm. only four made it. Uh, these are ones that I will watch anytime, anywhere, anyhow, no problemo. Alien. Mm-hmm. Jaws. Mm-hmm. Suspiria. Mm-hmm. And Dawn of the Dead.
4: So for me, it was Halloween. Trilogy of Terror, Jaws, Carrie, The Exorcist, and Alien. And maybe you're right about Trilogy of Terror. Maybe I should bump it down the great, but I liked it so much that I put it up there.
1: Well, that's the thing. That particular episode in the anthology is so memorable. Like, mm-hmm. everybody I've ever talked to in the horror community... When we speak of Trilogy of Terror, we don't speak of anything except that little voodoo doll. <laughs> because it's, it's a maniacal fucking crazy shit. And seeing that as a kid, I was terrified.
4: Well, going back to magic, like, I am not a big fan of ventriloquist dummies. And I remember it was, it had to be like, one of the Tales from the Dark Side or or one of those mm. shows... And there was a fucking ventriloquist dummy that was like running around this woman's apartment and going after her, and she locks herself into the bathroom. And
1: peeks under and the then door. She peeks
4: under, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Like I, that's why. What, what I mean, like
1: that happened in the uh, Buffy episode too. The one they were doing was mimicking it. But then he also, I think you and I both have seen this. Is the Twilight Zone with the Dolly Dearest, the <laughs> little Dolly. Um, I think I think it was. Tell you, Talking Yeah, talking Tina. That was creepy. So, like, you and I, when it comes to these, like, mannequins, like, Tourist Trap is notorious for that. I was, I could not even watch that film back then when I was younger. I was like, can't do and it. I,
4: and I think that's part of it, like, where, why Tourist Trap and Magic are kind of in my good, because I am scared of them, but I'm not gonna enjoy them.
1: Yeah, well, the funny thing about Magic now is, and the reason why it wasn't in my good list like Tourist Trap was that Magic, when I look at it now and watch it now, is more of a mystery thriller rather than true horror. Like you do have it, but oh,
4: no! See, for me, it's it's terrifying, but it's also <laughs> like uh, you know how much I love movies about mental illness, and I'm not saying that to be like making fun of mental mm-hmm. illness, but like,
1: no, it's actually a poster child for it.
4: <laughs> so like you know i i love silver linings playbook and it's about mental illness football and dancing and i i love seeing when people can really portray in their mind like when you can put that when you're if you are not suffering from mental illness but then you can take it and put it on a movie and portray it in a way that like you really make it believable instead of making it look like you're just forcing it. Mm-hmm. That, to me, makes a movie interesting. And obviously, Anthony Hopkins can really do it because he did it in many, many movies. So, like. I was a lamb. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, Carrie, I have such fond memories of Carrie. I know it's, again, supposed to be scary, but it wasn't ever scary for me. My girlfriend Tiffany and I... it terrified me.
3: Really?
1: Yeah. (laughs) But you have to understand, during this period in the 70s... And I probably confused it a lot because... Now I can't imagine my mom taking me to so many of these movies. So I had to be Wanda, my babysitter. So... Like, I saw, like, Tommy at the drive-in. Jaws at the drive-in. I was five. Uh... Carrie I saw at the drive in so I remember certain things now granted back then I was so young it was more about images and and Mm -hmm. seeing Carrie getting blood dipped on her it sticks with you it's still like an iconic scene for her and horror general you know in general Mm -hmm. audiences so
4: I honestly um Tiffany and I were about 11 or 12 and um you know how the library you can go and rent you could rent movies when we were kids you if you had a membership you could rent movies but not all of them were free so i was staying the night over her house and her mom's like you guys can pick out whatever movies you want but it has to have it has to have a green dot or whatever it was that means it's free so we picked carrie literally because of the cover of the girl covered in blood because tiffany and i are sickos and we're obsessed with nightmare on elm street and Oh, but that's
1: not. Nah, it's just, you know, kids, we like horror, we like to be scared. It's, you know, for a long time, the the media and the critics never understood horror. They didn't understand why people would go. They, they did that to John Carpenter's The Thing. They bombed it. And then when The Thing did very well, cult-wise, or even with The Exorcist, like, they didn't understand, like, the fascination. But people like to be scared.
4: I, like... There's actually some scenes in Carrie which are, like, really mean. Oh, yeah. Especially... And Tiffany and I were like, oh, my God, this is so fucking hysterical and over the... Like, we we thought it was hilarious that, that we can't imagine people being that mean that we were just like oh my god like the part at the beginning when she first starts to menstruate and she she's freaking out because her mom is so religious mm-hmm. that she didn't understand she didn't know what, was going on. what was going on and then they're throwing tampons and pads at her like we're we're like howling like these are some fucking mean ass bitches and
1: i think you know that's the other thing uh and i, I it's funny because i've always when i was a kid when you're watching horror, there's always a sense of dread. Now, some movies you can watch, and there's like like Evil Dead Two. There's this like comic relief that happens throughout it that you it alleviates all the tension and everything because you're just laughing your ass off. With Carrie, it goes back to what you say the bullying. Like by the time the final. The final scene starts going.
4: You're, you're like almost on Carrie's side. You're
1: rooting for her. Like it, obviously, she kills people that really didn't deserve it because there's just chaos. Mm-hmm. But everything else, the people that were always treating her badly, you're kind of like, yeah, go girl. You know, do whatever you got to do. Now, same thing kind of happens with uh, Christine or you know other movies of the similar nature where it's always like a specific person is getting bullied and, like, they somehow get this upper hand on people. And, like, we, we find ourselves relating to those characters in some way. And so that's really how I kind of processed Carrie watching it when I was younger. I was like, this movie's scary, but yet at the same time I almost, I can identify with her in that sense that, like, she was just
0: Snapped. It's both, like... both at
1: home and in school. She, and then, like, even if... I get, forget the guy's name that was actually taking her to the prom to be cool about it and then the counselor was really caring about her but like there was nothing they could do like there was just too much shit going on with her that they couldn't save her from herself basically so
4: and like for me um the other two movies that are like really Jaws and The Exorcist are two of the most uh, quoted movies that you and I quote all the time so I'm like Fuck me, Fuck me. <laughs> I just
1: laugh because you get the devils at the very bottom.
4: <laughs> and Alien, of course, is just fucking phenomenal. Like, it's just a great movie.
1: Yeah, and I should let you all know who are listening that when we'll Neko and I do these for the next couple of two, three decades, we're probably going to end up leaving some things out. It's just, there's no way to avoid it. Uh, even if we've both seen it, I'm just trying to stick with stuff that. We More both know that we've are seen familiar and with.
4: are familiar with. Because it was a little harder for me with the 70s, um, because he had all these other ones, and he's like, I know you saw it, I was like, this is going to be the problem, though. They're all going to go down in my average category, because I recognize the title, but I can't remember the plot at
1: right. all. And I wanted to make sure that you remembered it mm-hmm. one way or the other, whether you hated it or liked it, so that was the important thing. Now... The '80s list is bigger because there's, the '80s was just like the explosion of horror. So, and
4: as in, when I was a child, I don't know why, but there was like no filter on what I was allowed to watch, except for like some random shit, like rap videos. <laughs> like of all things, like no, no rap, no no BET, no rap videos. But we had cable. And in the basement is where I would um, hang out and play, you know, my Barbie dolls. And I had my Nintendo down there. And it had HBO. Like, so we were free to watch whatever we wanted.
0: And my mom
4: did not stop me from watching any horror movies. And my grandmother was obsessed with horror. And she was an avid reader. And she loved reading Stephen King and Dean Coombs and all of the... Horror that you can think of. Yeah. So but the one thing about Alien, um, I actually was reading something about it today, and (laughs) somebody said it was like the best synopsis of the whole movie is like it's the movie about where the woman was right and none of the men would listen to her, and the only person that survived was the woman and her cat.
1: That's like one of those true uh, movie reviews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly
3: what happened.
4: <laughs> so that kind of—that's why it kind of took me up. Because at first, when we were talking earlier before we signed on, he—he he gave me this list, and he used the movie, um, the like uh, posters, and they're so small because they have to fit into this bracket, and I couldn't read. The alien picture, and I'm like, "What the hell is that? A bone?" And he's like, "No, it's alien." And I'm like, "Cause I had it down in the average, cause I was like, I don't even know what this is." And he said, "That's alien." So it went right up to to great, cause I love that movie.
1: So future reference, when I go to do the next one, I'm gonna have to like explain to her what the covers are, cause mm. if you can't really see them, it is a little bit tough. Um, cause when you're putting them into the tiers, they're a little bit smaller.
4: I even not zoomed. I had to zoom in a
1: little bit too. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I it liked. It was that. a
4: lot of fun. I'm gonna, I'm gonna email you, I guess. Cause are you posting
1: them? Not today, but I will be. Um, so yeah, either through Messenger or on Facebook or whatever, you okay. can send it to me. Um, then I'll put it up to next week when we go to do it. All right. Well, let's get back into some music now. A few days ago, when I was previewing some music, uh, I was playing a band called Golden Blood uh neko really liked it at the time so that's in here but we got a couple of classic bands kicking shit off from the 80s agony and tyson dog this is agony with madness reigns <laughs> some stuff from Curtain Calls, Dr. Music, and Metal Devastation Radio Promotions in here. Also got some uh, new stuff from Otto Hawk, Eastern High, and of course, Netco's Pick of the Week. Which reminds me, she's going to have to start building up her list again because it's getting pretty low. Getting low? It's getting low, man. Oh. Running out of shit material. Anyhow, uh, Battle Devastation Radio sent us this one from Cedars, called Claymore, and we'll be back in a few to talk about Necklace pick. To take care of all your automotive needs and get in touch with Stalfirst Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Staffers takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Staffers is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Staffers is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you out.
4: I'm going to get even fatter than I already am. So just
2: one more, Chip.
4: I might need one more. So, as you said, uh, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty with, with DJ Necco's Picks of the Week. I'm gonna have to go through and you know, do a, a deep dive again, but <clears throat> this particular song I think had come on the radio and I don't usually listen to the radio, so I, I must have just been like turning on the car and the song came on, and I was like, pretty blown away by this song when it first came out, but what I found out recently was, the song itself, it was, the band originally released it in 93, and it was on their own independent label, and it was getting some pretty hot, you know, pub, right. just on an independent label.
1: Who else was like that? Oh, that was the, um,
4: I can Walk 5,000 Miles. The that band. or I
2: think, yeah. Or the, yeah, proclaimers, or the
1: proclaimers Yeah, the Proclaimers. And they, uh, they had put out that single, like, five years prior to, like, all of a sudden it just, with, what was it, Jenny Benny and, and Benny and June. So, uh,
4: th- this particular band, they released it in 93 and then Electra Records started, um, representing them. In 95. And they re-released the album that they released in 93, but under their label. And it went platinum in seven weeks. So, and on that record was the single, Good. Right. And that took them, like, over the top. And that's the song I picked, because that's, like, really the most famous song, and it's played still over and over and over again. Their second album was not very good at all, though. Barely sold 500,000
1: Oh, yeah, copies. I can tell you now. To me, they'd be like a one-hit one. They may have had other singles, but I don't recognize any of them except for this one.
4: Their third album... Um... Crap, I forgot what it was called. Hold on, I gotta look at the cheat Gotta sheet. look it up! Um, their third album... Um. How does your garden grow? <laughs> that one. There were some songs on there that you would re- you would recognize, but nothing like nothing like good. And right. The band I'm talking about is better than Ezra. If you haven't figured it out, but they have an actually really interesting history. You know, they they're from New Orleans. They were um, in college together, and they started writing albums around and apparently their demo cassette at one point was was pretty hotly traded in the early 90s late 80s um you know because they had gone to all these college bars and been playing right and people were desperate to find it but sadly in i think 1990 hold on gotta
3: look make sure i'm not um <laughs>
4: their their lead guitarist uh died by suicide oh wow so this is before their their like multi-platinum fame and you know they all stuck together for a really long time um you know their first album that went multi-platinum was their biggest hit which is kind of crazy their second album barely sold anything but their third album how your how does your garden grow um actually had a couple of hits, but they never really kinda climbed the charts like good and they were dropped by their label.
1: What uh what year did that come out? <laughs>
4: uh, ninety nine. So
1: basically it's sort of when alternative rock was the down yeah. down
4: slope anyway. So they got popular right at the right time. They had the right representation right at the right time. What's also very interesting <laughs> excuse me is their drummer is also the drummer for the country bluegrass band Sugarland, which was also doing really well for a time. And the drummer left in 2009 because they were still better than Ezra has been touring, apparently. They still tour and they still do like, you know. Well, you know, it's
1: funny because I remember as the 90s started, after the 80s, the 90s started progressing, I said to myself because the scene was changing it was becoming alternative rock because of nirvana Soundgarden, and all these bands uh and then years later even when i got me- you know met up with you in the early 2000s i started looking back and i'm like wow a lot of those hard rock bands that i used to still putting out records so it's the same way the alternative rock bands now are still out there just like who was it uh, the weezer still putting out records just, you wouldn't know it because you never hear anything uh, but the people who are diehard Alternate rock fans They, they follow them uh, Meanwhile me I'm like More interested in the metal part of everything But I do enjoy a lot of the old rock So like I go back and I listen to like Pearl Jam or,
4: And you're like wow that, I didn't even know about that song
1: Right and, that, and that's how you find Some pretty good stuff so it's like Wow okay so they're still out there and they're still putting out records And I don't know how good Better Than Ezra is Period but
4: what I thought was funny today, when the girl came to uh, trim the bunny's nails, she might be twenty or twenty-one. The vet tech that um, we have come to trim the rabbits' nails, she had a sublime shirt on.
1: Oh, you guys bonded! I
4: said, "Oh, I love your shirt," and she said, "Thank you." I said, like, "You know, that's my favorite band." <laughs> but I, I really do kind of have fond memories of my my shitty car. That barely had air conditioning and heating and didn't even have a cd player when i first had it it just had the radio so that's why i think a lot of 90s stuff gets stuck in my head because i had no choice but the radio when i was in my car and i was an early commuter i drove from my house to college which was um off of rossville you know so that's about a 25 minute drive right I drove from college to Corporate Express, so that's all the way down in Elkridge. You know, it's about forty-five minutes. I had plenty of time, just listening to the radio. Right. So the that's why I think the alternative rock stuff just kind of got stuck in my head for so long, because no CD player until my alternator went up and it fried my radio. So my dad put a CD player in when he was fixing the car, and you would have thought he gave me like. Gold, like that. Now thinking back, I'm like, I don't know how that little Omni got from uh, Essex all the way down to Elkridge on the highway, because you know how tiny that car was and how slow it was. Right. So, but I, I just really wanted to share about Better Than Ezra because, you know, it's it's odd when you have a band with their very very first album that got released twice and had sold great twice but even better because they got picked up by a major album and then i think everybody in the free world knows
3: this song because it's been in commercials
1: oh yeah i was thinking about it. chris and i when we were doing the power washing and painting thing in the late 90s together uh this was on the radio a lot we just it's 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 one of those songs like it's a, it's a decent song. But it's also one of those songs that once it's in your fucking head, you can't get rid of it. <laughs> so whatever bass line they've got going on here, it just it sticks with you. And uh, you just can't get it out of your head. So,
4: so without further ado, we're going to get this stuck in your head for another three days. Right. And this is Better Than Ezra. When
3: good. good. When it's good. It's good. <laughs> Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. William Jump.
2: Hailing from the land, below the wind.
4: DJ Necco's Pick of the
3: Week.
0: up everyone this is richie from grave huffer and you're listening to dj anubis and dj neko on metal tavern
2: radio rank it the fuck up
1: all right we're back uh-huh. closing out that rock block with syrenda stella So the other day, uh, well, let's let's take a step back here in time to, I think it was 2014, 15 maybe?
3: Maybe.
1: Netflix released a doc called Blackfish, Mm -hmm. and it was one of those docs that kind of really opens up your eyes to some of the things that goes on when corporations are caring for aquariums and you know zoos like we've seen tiger king and all that shit and uh-huh. some of the horrors that lie behind <laughs> that wall so blackfish obviously spot spotlighted the housing of orcas at SeaWorld and other water parks like that and uh it really opened up my eyes then you know to like just how badly treated these whales really are like as much as SeaWorld and some of the trainers say they care for them, which, you know, on some level, I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. But they have to also understand that the way that they house these creatures, especially the corporation itself and the the higher-ups, mm-hmm. like, it's not enough room for these animals, like, clearly. Like, we saw some from the early, late 70s, early 80s, where... Uh, Timuku or whatever his name was uh, they were literally in like small pins like they couldn't even really move they had to sit there
4: mm-hmm. they're just like kind of floating
1: yeah yeah it's really really horrible and, and of course one of the things that was showcased on the dock was how at some point in their life they lashed out to whether directly or indirectly to whatever train I was with them at the time and ended up killing people and I, to me, honestly, from what I can remember, it wasn't like anything necessarily, um, menacing. You know, it wasn't like they were setting out to do it, but I, obviously I think we understand these whales are uncomfortable. Sometimes they get sick. Uh, now recently SeaWorld has, uh, a young baby, uh, orca, six-year-old orca called Maya, which passed away, got sick, trainers, and physicians were trying to care for her and she continually declined rapidly. Her death was sudden and unexpected. Of course they're saying it's gonna take weeks to figure out how she died, but it just kinda of reignited this fire in me that says that really this part of the Sea World Park should be done with. You know, we shouldn't be using dolphins for and entertainment. right as a kid, it's fun. We we know it, we're seeing creatures that we would never normally see, uh, even from a, just a perspective on the outside. Like to be able to touch an orca or a whale or a shark is very cool. But at the same time, we don't understand everything else that goes involved with keeping them alive, keeping them fed, and how they're being housed. And especially with the orcas and dolphins, you know these they're being trained specifically to do certain things. And it sometimes It's like anything else If you If you're at work You don't always want to go to work You don't always feel like working So imagine We talk
4: about that all the time
1: Imagine an animal Not wanting to do something Is not in the mood Not feeling well And all of a sudden You're forcing it to go out there for 10 to 15 shows a day Jumping around And you know And see
4: I know I'm going to go back a couple of weeks When we went to see the AcroCats Yeah Like I feel like the difference between something like that versus when you see these sea creatures is, number one, all of those animals are already domesticated. The cats are. And they're all rescued. And they're about 10 pounds a piece. And they don't live in a contained aquarium. right. And what we saw by that, yes, they're traveling around, but we saw their arrangements are, like, just as rich, ritzy as fucking rock stars. They have a rock star bus, and they're not forced to perform. Like, they'll they, just... They, they can wander around,
1: do whatever the fuck they
4: want. How many of them ignored the trainer and just went walking through the audience? Like Yeah,
1: in, in both cases, these animals and the, the orcas and the mammals and whatnot, they... They're being trained as a in a way that is for food. That's mm-hmm. how you that's how you treat them. Repetition, food. Orcas know that if they do a certain thing, they'll get fish. Whatever. Same with dolphins. Same with the cats. They knew they were going to get certain treats for doing certain things. Now, as you said, and this is, it's really similar. The only the only difference is, but is you like you
4: cannot properly house large mammals the way that you can say. Ten cats. Right. If you have a single-family cat... house and you have ten cats, which is what this woman does, she has enough property that the cats are all spread out. They have plenty of food and exercise.
1: You put two cats in this this bottom room here, and there's no. They're problem. fine. You put a whale in a small pool. It, it's it's not mm-hmm. designed that way. It's it's a deep water animal. It's got to be. It's got to have a bigger opening.
4: And that's what they're trying to do. Is they're trying. They're taking like. These animals travel hundreds and hundreds of miles in, in families and pods. So you take them and literally s- stick them like it would be like if you were never allowed to leave. Like being in jail. You have a cell and a shitter.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's all about the space. And, you know it, you know, at this point we are far more familiar with cats and dogs than we are orcas like we do have scientists who have studied orcas obviously and you know we have some idea of how they live and whatnot but at the same time we still a lot about orcas that we don't know because they're not an, an everyday normal domestic animal mm-hmm. um we know they're smart they're incredibly intelligent we've been out in the opening with them they don't attack humans for prey um dolphins have been known to save humans from shark attacks so we know there's an intelligence factor there. There's so there.
4: much fun like ever, there have been multiple times I've been on, on the ship and as you're especially as you're closer to um, shore or if you're leaving port they like to play in the wake like you'll see them uh-huh. going choo 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 the dolphins and um, the one thing that I actually loved One of the trips I was on was down in the Dominican Republic. It was a humpback whale sanctuary, but it was not like SeaWorld. It was still in the actual ocean. It was just a sanctuary where you weren't allowed to fish. You weren't, you know, the ships were only allowed to go so close. Now the whales could go wherever they wanted, but they had like an area sanctioned off because that was where they knew that they came to mate and they were free there was no like there was no boats there fishing there were no boats there to endanger them but they could still come in and go in and out freely now if you if you want to do something like that with that's whales that's the right. whole difference well
1: yeah and I, i'm reading a little bit further in this article and this is the good news um, the death comes several years after SeaWorld announced it was ending its orca breeding program in 2016 and that's the
4: other thing they would breed them for show
1: uh, made criticism about how to treat the orcas in captivity in 2013, CNN documentary. Blackfish highlighted the issue telling the story of SeaWorld trainer killed by a 12,000-pound orca to lick him in 2010. The orcas in SeaWorld's care are the last generation of the mammals to be enclosed out of water parks, the company said in 2016. That's the good news, but it probably goes back to what you just said. We need to, like, still take them out. Like, I know they don't want to release them in the open because... They're not familiar with how to how to behave out in the wild. So, but there are lagoons and stuff that you can do for them, and maybe they're smart enough to at some point make their way out of the lagoon back into the wild. Like you know, we've seen weird cases like the one Doc about the one orca that got separated from its pack and was befriending the locals before it got hurt by an accident by hitting a a boat. Um, But that shows you an orca can adapt to what it's doing even though there wasn't much that people could do they liked it but it was becoming a nuisance in a the sense they kept getting tangled up in their nets and everything else
4: and it was you know it was a fishing town and it was still kind of even though it was a harbor it was still shallow water and but it just loved
1: people people yeah it felt like you know they were helping it and you know taking care of it and being nice to it and it just attached to itself but i'm assuming they can be the same the other way um but, you know, it's a matter of trying to, you know, it's funny because thinking about the lagoon, it's like had SeaWorld thought of this in advance, you probably would want like a giant lagoon, have your people in the stands on the sides and make it make sure it's big and then have the whales come do little jumps out of the water along the line. Mm-hmm. Then at least you'd have some credibility with the space portion of it. Now, obviously, I still think it's a bad idea in the long run because you're still training them to just perform. That's not really what they're there for. Where, you know, if you're, it's one thing if you're having kids just walk up to a glass and look at them and see, oh, that's cool, you know. But the good news is it sounds like they are trying to disband it, which is great because that's one of the things that was a major concern. I don't know if that applies to their dolphins, though. I mean, they need to, like, do the same thing there and not...
4: Because they're still very large animals.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're not going to really hurt you, but, you know, still. It's still mistreatment in a way, and I just... It's not something that we need to see. Um, some things are cool. Like, they have the little... When I went to World, they had, like, this small... Well, it wasn't really small. It was probably about as big as this room and tank and you, you can stand, like like about this high, but they had the little sharks in it, little hammerheads and regular sharks and they were feeding off the little fish. Obviously you can't be sticking your fingers in there and whatnot, I mean, it could bite you, but point was it was kind of a cool thing to see. Obviously if they got bigger, you had to either move them to a bigger tank or out. Sharks are much different in that way, but that's one reason why we can't ever house a great white because it's we don't know enough about it to keep it safe, to keep it alive. And they always end up dying when they try to come into captivity. So, you know, we got to treat orcas and dolphins the same way. It's like they're not toys. You know, you know, it's one thing to show the world what the sea is like and everything. We all enjoy that. But,
4: I mean, for me, um...
1: But it's never a good thing when a young orca dies like that just out of nowhere. That's not a good sign. I
4: mean, I... As I went to SeaWorld when I was a kid. I've seen you know the dolphin shows, I've seen the whale shows, and it's like, it's really cool. And when you're a kid, you're like in awe, and I still would be if I saw all those cool tricks and stuff. But you just, when you realize what goes into the training and what goes into now their lifestyle, as you know, they used to be able to be free. Now, granted, I am not against. I know that they have, know, like, this happens with seals a lot. Like, especially young ones, that'll get lost and they'll wash up on on shore, and you know, the national wildlife will come and get them if they haven't left in a certain amount of time because they get separated from their family or whatever if if an animal needs rehab i think that kind of thing is still important to have but i don't think like housing an animal and then training
1: it is (laughs) all yeah like there are some like zoos or natural habitats where people drive through them with the lions and tigers and stuff and elephants, that's fine because you're actually keeping them within their own areas, their habitat, that they, the area they live. It's like a reservation, so you're just driving through and just taking pictures, and they're jumping around and whatever. Now it's harder with the ocean because they don't stay put for very long. You know, they're all moving around and doing their thing. But it, like, I have no problems with shark caging at all as long as it's done at a safe distance from shores and whatnot. But um, obviously, some shark experts don't like that because it somehow attaches feeding to humans. But the reality is that that could happen with any animal, really. Um, but sharks aren't going to stop feeding just because we stop feeding them in cages either. So, <clears throat> but I don't know. It is good that they're not doing it anymore. And that just it's too bad a young whale is dead now because of that. You know, it's like. They just have to think of a better way to get them out of there. Like, I know they're stopping everything, at least from what they're saying, but it's time to get the rest of them out of there and put them somewhere. Yeah, good. I agree. All right, well, let's get back into some music. Um, a couple things from Against PR and Horror Pain in here. But we're going to kick out brand new stuff from Fear and See. This is called Damien. <coughs> Jay Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course, everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information yes.
3: This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say
0: anything about either one of these. Nope. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate, I would appreciate it. i appreciate your ruse, ma'am.
3: Thank your pardon?
0: Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick
1: me. Alright, we are back.
3: We're back. And
1: got to treat Neko to the raid redemption.
4: good nose spray, but I am just dying right now. Um, so I might have to go take some stupid bed in a minute. Um, I really liked the movie and I really did enjoy like all the martial arts,
3: <laughs>
4: but I, you know, you were, you had seen it before. I had never seen it and you were trying to explain to me what was going on. <laughs> And I'm like, tell me the synopsis
1: of the story. And I'm like, we Yeah, before we get there, let me do give the synopsis because she's right. Like, when I started explaining to her, (laughs) it started clicking on a light bulb in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) So basically, what you have here for the uninitiated, the three main actors in this movie are Equiwas... Yayan Ruan and Joe Taslim. Now, Joe Taslim, if you're not familiar, he's the guy who plays Sub Zero in the latest Mortal Kombat. Uh, All three of these guys are major players in a lot of the martial arts movies that we see within the last decade or so. Um, So, basically, uh, Uwas and Taslim's character play uh, cops, part of a SWAT team, who are meant to go into this old, uh, dilapidated building in Jakarta. Where this drug lord basically has been hidden from the police, and it's basically a fortress for him now, which has tenants. Now, what NECA's getting at is when I started explaining what the movie was about, she looked at me like, I've seen this. And I'm like, No, you haven't. She's like, Yes, I have. And I said, No, you haven't. She's like, And then I go, Wait a minute, (laughs) Dread. It sounds a lot like Dread, and she's like, "Yes, I've seen this."
4: <laughs> and the thing is, I Dread came out after this, but I saw Dread before this, and I hate that that kind of—I don't want to say—tainted my view of the movie. But I was like, I guess because I didn't feel like it was original, even though it was original, because it's this movie is the one that came with the up with the idea because I saw it second it it just i didn't love the movie but then i'm like well do i really love dread now because i really did like dread but i'm like do i really love dread now because if i if i did love dread then i'm really loving the raid
1: yeah it, they're both presented in different ways but as Neko and i were watching this
4: it's drug dealers that have
3: its head we in it we
1: saw certain things <sighs> In the raid that were played out in dread uh, you know the high drug lords like making an announcement to the tenants that are actually in the building who pay him money to stay there and of course they all work together to keep the cops out and whatever but as he knows the cops are there he's making an announcement over the PA that hey you guys need to kill these motherfuckers so that we don't have any more come over here Which is exactly how it played out in Dredd when he locked down the entire uh, apartment building. And, you know, uh, Heedley's character says the same thing. She's like, I want the cops dead. (coughs) And, you know, you need to take care of this because if I have to do it, then some of you are going out with them, basically. Um, Now, uh... Yahan Rulon's, I don't know if I pronounce that right, but his character is one of the henchmen that bodyguards the, the, the Don, uh, and then E.Q. Was, his brother is actually another one of the henchmen that protects the Don. So basically he's not only going in to take down this drug Lord, but he's trying to save his brother as well. Cause he knows his brother's in there. And, uh, but the thing that shouldn't be overlooked is, the the martial arts, the choreography, the fighting is fabulous. Uh, unlike Dread, Dread is great on its own merits, no doubt about it, um, and it's a lot of fun. But the raid, there's just so much more fighting going on now. I'm looking at a a review on uh, E Times Entertainment Times uh, movie reviews. This was done back in 2016. This guy. He gave it a high score. He gave it like a 3.5 out of 5. Now, granted, I'd give this a 10 out of 10, but that's beside the point. But his his thing is, uh, he's here going, here's why you might want to skip this one. The dialogues are barely there. Uh, the cast has never been heard of and seen before. Now, granted, this is 2016, so now he'd probably feel that stupid saying this because a lot of these actors are really building a name for themselves within the martial arts community and movies and whatnot. So... Um, and a lot of these guys work together on other films, which is cool, because you always see these familiar faces all the time, uh, especially with Iku and Joe Taslin. Uh, now, Roger Ebert also did a review, or at least his page did, um, about this movie. He only gave it one star out of four, which, he, I, I, I want to say I'm surprised, I'm not surprised, but one of the things Roger was complaining about was that the movie was too violent and it didn't have, like, a real you know real goal in mind but the reality is there is a goal in mind but the other reality is the raid and movies like it are, are about the martial arts or about the fighting the techniques and that's the thing that separates it from a lot of other things like whenever these critics or reviewers are watching these movies i don't really think they understand half the time what it is they're supposed to be looking at um you know if 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 a critic goes into a movie, like, say, Wonder Woman 1984, nine times out of ten, they're looking for all the woke shit that's in there or all the other things that are involved with the movie rather than the plot itself. Like, they don't want to discuss how bad the plot is or um, how bad the movie actually was. They want to sit there and blow smoke up their ass about, uh, oh, well, it's... It's 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 addressing some of our problems in society. I'm like dude. I don't I'm not here for that bullshit I'm here for entertainment popcorn entertainment and the raid is that and It does have a plot. It does it does make sense if you're fucking smart enough to follow it You exactly know what's going on. It's about corruption. It's about uh, bad housing great fighting uh, really great fighting uh, and that's the thing like you know This movie has just so much great choreography in it that you would. It wasn't until probably. I don't know, four or five years ago, someone mentioned these movies to me, and I had not. I'd heard of them, but I had not seen them. And the minute I saw this one and the the sequel, I immediately bought them both on DVD. That's how fucking good they are. And, uh,. Yeah, so I know Neko's not here right now to really comment on this because she her allergies are really kicking her ass, but um, So it's really just me carrying you all right now, but you know the thing is The movie's non-stop action from start to finish uh, They don't fuck around there's plenty of gore in there the, the Really the, one of my favorite scenes and I can't remember the actor who plays uh, Iki was character's brother, but the brother has a change of heart in terms of, like, wanting to serve this drug lord, and he doesn't really like the other henchmen played by Rulon, uh because he's just, they call him Mad Dog, he's just fucking nuts. So, at one point, Iwa's character and his brother's character are fighting Rulan's character, and it's, like, one of the best fights in the movie, uh, where he's taking on two of them, and it's just, it's a wonderful job, because Yaya, uh, he's like such a small guy, you really wouldn't think it, but when you look at how he's fighting compared to the other like Taz and the rest of them, he's kind of a small guy, but he can really move, he has a lot of great footwork, and he's just a great fighter. Um, Yeah, so despite, you know, time passing, and like I said, this person in this review here didn't even know who these actors were at the time that he did the review, Now we've seen these guys plenty in a bunch of different films over the last three or four years, so they're making names for themselves. And just I can't stress it enough: if you like good martial arts movie, this is one to be had to see, as well as the sequel as well. I haven't seen the sequel, but this one was
4: really good.
1: Yeah, did you have any input? Because I just gave all my input.
4: (laughs) Not, not really not feeling
1: so great, I am. Uh, yeah, I told him you were under the weather a little bit.
4: My, my allergies are just killing me right now. Like, I'm breaking out all over my neck and my chin. And
1: you need Benadryl or something. <clears throat>
4: we're going to have to take a trip to the pharmacy.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, uh, we're going to kick off the next uh, block of music. Uh, Metal Devastation Radio uh provide us with this band called Evoking Winds. It's in the woods on yellow sand. We'll be back. Sweeping Death out of Germany from their brand new EP, Progressive Thrash Metal. I the bye not. bye. I really that. Yeah, Marcus Eck from Metal Message sent us that. Uh, they've been promoting the shit out of that on Facebook, so that's very cool. And we are getting ready to get the fuck out of here. I know, dinner just came. Perfect timing. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the tracks. As usual, if you got any requests, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or any of our social medias. And uh, let us know. We're glad to play something for you. Hope you enjoyed the topics. We always try to make it as interesting as possible.
4: And I'm really sorry that I got, like, super itchy and sneezy. Like
1: Yeah, she couldn't join me for the review that much. But, hey, she's getting better. It's kind of like a newt. <laughs>
3: oh.
1: <laughs> Holy grail. <laughs> It got Tell me, it got better. Uh, one last track for y'all this evening. It is called uh, The Weakening from a band called Epigram. And we will see you all next week. Peace. Peace.